If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3 this morning. We've been studying the book of Romans, and we want to continue uh, to look at God's Word together. What should we expect to get out of the Word? What should we expect to have happen every time uh, we read the Bible, hear a sermon? Uh, I wonder what your expectations are. Um, We know that the Word of God is living and active. We know it causes change. Uh, Some of you can pinpoint sermons in your life where that has happened. Um, Why does that happen? Have you ever thought about that? Why has there been a truth I've heard a hundred times before, and yet one sermon I hear it again, and it makes things clear? Why is it that I came into the sermon uh, anxious, worried, and I left comforted? Or why is it uh, that I left with no desire to walk in, or came with no desire to walk in obedience, and now I actually have zeal? Uh, that's a good question for us to ask as we get ready to look at this passage today and think, how can this passage work? We, we know that the Word only works uh, through the Spirit of God. That it's not just words that are changing us, it's God by His Spirit changing us, impacting us by the truth that is proclaimed. I bring that up because I'm going to pray before we look at this passage, and I want to bring up to your attention, I don't know if you caught it this morning, there was a a hymn uh, that uh, we did in church. It wasn't anything that we sang, it was the one that the instrumentalist uh, played, uh, it's called Brethren We've Met to Worship. It's an old one, and usually during, I know, I know those of you who are Grace Lifers, like usually when you've come to that part, you're kind of wondering, like, what do I do when they're playing the music? Is this the time for me to check my phone? Is this now where I browse the grace today? And I'd encourage you guys, like, when they play those hymns, maybe listen to those songs and, and find them in your uh, hymnal and look at the lyrics. Now, I bring this to your attention because here's, uh, here's the lyrics from today. It's Brethren We Have Met to Worship, and adore the Lord our God, will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. So brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. That is nothing that's about to happen in the next hour, nothing that we do at church today at all, from the time you got here at 8 or 8.30 this morning till the time you leave around 1. Nothing will ultimately matter for eternity unless God, by His Spirit, causes it to do so. And so with that in mind, before we do something that's very important, which is hear from God in His Word, let's pray together and ask that God would impact this time for His glory, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful we have Your Word. We are so thankful that now we get to come into Your presence in the midst of all distraction and busyness of life. Lord, in a culture that that commands that we multitask and constantly check our phone and constantly demand entertainment, Lord, I pray that you would help us to sit now and listen. God, help me to speak not for my glory or recognition, but for yours. And may I say what is helpful and what you want your people and what you want sinners to hear today. We pray that you would use this time to save the lost and build up your church. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. The word I want to begin with is guilty. Guilty. A word that is very 
heavy. Consider the weight of the word, guilty. There is a hopelessness around this word, an inescapability, a finality to the word, guilty. The sentence has been made. Nothing can be undone. This man, this woman has been found guilty. That's exactly what Paul has been trying to prove so far in Romans. From Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, what we've looked at over the last few weeks, Paul has been trying to show that every single person is guilty before God in their sin. That the the pagan world, the world that knows nothing about God through their idolatry, has rejected him. Not just disobeyed his commands, but personally said, instead of worshiping you, I will worship something else, either some other God or some other created being. They have turned from him. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we've read, it's not just the irreligious people or the uh, polytheistic world that's rejected God. It's the Jews as well, the religious people. In our day today, we'd say the people who've grown up in church have also rejected God. Why? Because even though they know the law, they disobey it. Even though they know the commands of God, they do not walk in the commands of God. In fact, last week we read, not only does everybody disobey, uh, people love disobeying and they're unable to do otherwise. Chapter 3, verse 10, everyone is under sin. And so because of that, all people are condemned. All people are guilty. All people are under the wrath of God and should expect nothing other than eternal hell because of the way they have consistently and gleefully rejected God's commandments. Friends, that's the, that's the gospel that Christians share. That's where we begin. That's where Paul begins as he explains the gospel. All are condemned, hopeless and helpless, and not even your own good deeds are able to merit God's favor because you don't do enough good deeds. You're too sinful to be good enough. That's where we've been so far in Romans. Today, we turn the corner with just one word, verse 21 of chapter 3. But now, there is an interruption. All are condemned, but there is hope. But there is good news. But there is a way to be accepted by God. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That is, there is a way to be righteous before God. Yes, the whole world is condemned. No one is under the smile of God. No matter how many songs sing about us all being God's children and God's this, you know, lovey-dovey God who has your picture on his fridge, and no matter how more, no matter what sort of sentimental language has been used, All of it leads to condemnation, except now there is a way to be righteous before God. Think about that word, righteous. It says, verse 21 again, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. That is, there is a way that God would look at you and say, good, righteous, accepted, Not just not guilty, not just, uh, okay, I'll let you off this time, but don't do it again. 
that God would actually look at your life and say you can be embraced, you could be welcomed with all the affection and approval of God because in his sight you are righteous. That you would be viewed as holy before a holy God. And friends, this morning, this is good news. This is the best news. This is why Christians are joyful. This is why Christians are thankful. This is the news that should make our hearts sing. It's the reason why we are what we are. Because God has made a way for us to be accepted by Him. And so this morning I would just ask, are you accepted by God? Are you enjoying being righteous before Him? Do you know if you die that you will be welcomed by Him? Do you know now if God accepts you, if your prayers to him are seen with approval, or if he goes, you're talking to me again with all your sin? Some of you here thinking of your own life are even asking, that's great, but is that even possible for a sinner like me? I want you to see that this is the good news we've been waiting for this morning. Let's take a look at verses 21 to 26. 21 to 26. It reads, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. This is God's very word to us. Leon Morris, a theologian, writes that this paragraph, these six sentences we just read, is possibly the most important paragraph ever written, the greatest news ever recorded. And it's going to answer for us questions. And not just silly questions that you might look up on Google at night. This is going to answer for us weighty questions. These questions do not primarily deal with the 60, 70, 80, maybe 30 years you'll live in this world. These questions will help you think about things for thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of years from now. It has everything to do with God's righteousness and how we can be truly forgiven. Three questions that it's going to answer for us. Three questions, if you're taking notes, three questions we're going to answer in this passage. Number one is this, where can I find righteousness? Where can I find righteousness? How can I know that I'm actually righteous? Paul in verse 21 says that this righteousness exists. There is a way that God would look at you and say, approved, accepted, holy God who knows all your thoughts, who has seen all your sin, even the ones that you've deleted the history of or hidden from your parents. He knows them all. And that God can look at you and not just say acceptable. He would look at you and say righteous. How? How is that possible? Where can I find this righteousness? Well, we find it in the text that says, through faith in Jesus 
Christ. Look at verse 22. It says, the righteousness of God, it comes to us not from the law, not from building our righteousness up, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What's important for us to see, it's important for us to remember as Christians, what's important for you to know if you're uh, maybe newer to our church in the last few months, is that the, the message of the gospel is not a formula. It's not a 12-step process. It's not points that you earn on a sliding scale. The message of salvation is rooted in a person. It's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. Jesus Christ, who came and humbled himself by taking on flesh. Jesus, who lived a life not a not like a movie kind of superhero avenger life. Jesus was more than just a Marvel character. Uh, Jesus had relationships. Jesus, it would seem, was the son of a carpenter. It would have learned to have been a carpenter. But Jesus endured the world. And yet in all of his life, he never sinned. He never once did anything that anyone could accuse him of. And then as he began his ministry, he showed that there's never been anyone to teach like Jesus. There's never been anyone with authority like Jesus. And as he calms the storm with a word, the disciples go, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? And as he meets the crowds, he's not like a celebrity who only interacts when it's good for his PR and then gets away so he's not interrupted. No, he sees the crowds and sees them and has compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we see Jesus, he's able to create out of nothing and he casts out demons with a word and he's even able to forgive sin, which bends the minds of the Pharisees. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And then this Jesus willingly goes to the cross. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And he goes and he dies in the place of sinners. And then three days later, he raises from the dead vindicating that he actually was sinless and he had no wages to pay. It's faith in Jesus. Again, look at verse 22. How do you get the righteousness? How do you get accepted by God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Which then makes us have to ask, well, what is faith? Right? We, we, we see this word, faith. Some of you have like a, a dish in your house that says like faith, hope, love. Or a towel in your house that says faith, hope, love. Some of you are named faith. Anyone in here named faith? And you have a sister named hope and love? Or No, I'm just kidding. It's something like that. Right? What, what is faith? The, the world, you know, they, they talk about faith. You know, your team's down five games with six games in the season. You're like, let's keep the faith. We got this. We, what is faith? And what a lot of us do is when we think of faith, we just think of the word belief. And what a lot of people think is when they think belief, they think superstition. Like you believe 
in Jesus in the same way that my son Jude believes in the tooth fairy, right? Or that, that every other kid believes in Santa. We think superstition. And some of you are going, well, faith is fairy tales. I don't really believe in Santa. I don't believe in the Easter bunny. Now, I don't believe in other mythical things like working ice cream machines at McDonald's. Now, I know those things don't exist, so I don't, I'm not superstitious like you are. Others, when they think faith, they think it just merely means belief. Like, I believe that is true. I believe uh, that Jesus factually existed. And, and that is part and parcel of what it means to believe, but it's more than that. A better word for faith might be the word trust. It's to trust the righteousness of God, the way to be righteous in God's sight, is to trust in Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, it is as if, it is as if you are entrusting your life to him. Uh, let me explain. I was, I was in the uh, downtown L station in L.A. Uh, for the Metrolink. Has anyone taken the Metrolink before, ridden the train? Have you ever been down to like the downtown station? Okay, right? And you're there, and there's all sorts of trains and all sorts of people and all sorts of uh, odors we could talk about another time. Um, just get on the OC one and move. And, and what trust looks like is uh, trust is you get on one of the trains, and then you go where that train takes you. It's more than just believing, if I want to get back up to Newhall, I've been dropped off in downtown LA, I take the Antelope Valley line and I get off on Newhall. It's more than just that, it's you actually getting on the train and going where it takes you, right? That, that's faith, it's more than just belief, there's an act of trust as well. What this is saying is that if you want righteousness, acceptance before God, it's faith in Christ. It's entrusting yourself, and it's knowing that your faith and your faith alone saves you. Notice, it's not works. Verse 22, again, the second half there, it says, for there is no distinction. And what Paul does here is he recaps his argument a little bit from chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of 3. He says, there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all have sinned. Every single person, no distinction, Jew or Gentile, religious person or irreligious person, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. If you're here this morning and you're, you know, you've maybe been conned into going to church by your friend and, and you're thinking, and see, they, all they do is they talk about sin. What is sin, these Christian killjoys? Well, sin is not just breaking a rule. Notice what it says. It says they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is to say, you were created for more than just what will entertain me today. You were created for more than just well, what's the best job I can get? What's the most attractive spouse I could find? Uh, what's the greatest pleasure I could seek out? You were created by God to reflect God. You were created by God to show the world what God is like. That he is a good and gracious and kind God. And through your actions, you would mirror his goodness. But when you sin, it's more than just you refuse to obey God's rules. You refuse to obey God's purpose in creating you. You've fallen short of his glory. And so because of that, you can't possibly be accepted by God. You are rejected, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not going to therefore be by your works, because we're too sinful. And so your only option is faith. 
faith, trust in Jesus. Well, then what, what is the result of that? I love how clear and simple and yet profound this is. Let's look at verse 24. What is the result? So it's faith in Jesus for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But on the other hand, those who have faith, verse 24, are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified. Now I've told you before, there are Christianese words that we sometimes use that we don't think about what they mean. And I've, I've before shown, it's, it's like the way that some of your friends use literally, uh, literally all the time uh, in non-literal ways. And I think justified is one of those words. Now we could say, we talk about justification, justified, and because we're so church, we don't think about what that means. The word justified, look at it there, and the word righteous in verse 21 and again in verse 22. At the root are basically the same word. That in the Greek, they, they're very similar. That is, you are looking to be righteous before God. And to be justified is to be declared righteous. To be made righteous. It is for God to say, you are righteous in my sight. You are justified. You do not justify yourself, right? So you know what it means to justify yourself, right? So your parents told you, hey, if you want to go out Friday night with your friends and do whatever it is that you guys do, that's fine. Your room needs to be clean. And it's five o'clock and you have finished all your homework and by that, you found a way to delay until Sunday night late uh, for Monday morning because it's Friday. You want to hang with your friends. And your parents go, well, did you clean your room? And suddenly you look to what? To justify yourself because you haven't. Well, let me explain. I was taking out the trash or I was so caught up in my homework or something. And we try to give some sort of justification. That, that's what it means for us to justify ourselves. But that's not what this is. This is not for you to say, I'm good, I'm right. This is for someone else to say, you're right. You're righteous. You're innocent. You're clear. You, in fact, it's as if you've always obeyed. And when you put your faith in Christ, when you put your trust in Jesus, what that is saying is that God justifies you. He says, you are righteous. Sinner, if you want to have all your sins absolved, if you want to have, have full forgiveness, it cannot come from explanations. It cannot come from hard work to clean away your sin. It's justification that comes from God the Father, from believing and putting your faith in God the Son. It's something that's done. This again, look, notice, we are justified. We're made righteous. So this is not, as some religions teach, this is not God saying, okay, I'm going to clear your debt of sin and now create a pathway. Now you've been justified, so walk down that pathway and you'll be accepted. No, no, this is immediate and total and permanent acceptance. Right? This is not a uh, uh, get-rich-quick spiritually plan where God wipes your debt away and goes, now accumulate some wealth before me. No, no, this is you're totally accepted and loved by God. 
because of faith in Christ. Before God, righteous. <laughs> that is amazing news. That is amazing news when we think about the last two chapters, right? When we think about our sins, we think about the sins we've committed this week, we think about even our religiosity, which we've done for our own glory and not God's, you can be totally forgiven and know you're forgiven. How? It's the question, how? Let's think about faith for a second. And I've illustrated this before. Um, you know, let's, let's imagine that you are, you, know, you are on the edge of a cliff. I've used this one before. And you're falling off the cliff. And as you are tumbling uh, to your imminent doom, uh, there are some branches that you might be able to grab on. Now, uh, now, branch A is the branch that you might think might save you, or maybe do I go to branch B? And the reality, what's going to save you is not so much the strength of your faith, it's going to be the strength of the branch that saves you. You track it with me? Because you might really believe branch A, it cracks, and then you're just, you're done. You're, you're a story on TikTok or something like that. It's, it's over for you. But you go to branch B, and it's the strength of the branch maybe that rescues you. So the question is, how? How does faith save me? How does it justify me? Well, it has everything to do with what you're putting your faith in and how this faith allows you. So it's in Jesus, but what particularly about Jesus allows me to be justified? Here it is. Look at verse 24. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And some words there that are used. Let's think about this. The word redemption, again, is not totally a word we use all the time. It's a word that has to do with buying things. Uh, how many of you have gotten coupons in the mail that you've clipped them out before? You're like, I'll totally get a two-for-one Western bacon cheeseburger, right? Something like that. And at the bottom, it says, redeem by such and such a date. It's always 1231, whatever year you're in, right? It has to do with a payment. So here's the thing. It's interesting, right? Look, look again. Verse 24, we're justified by his grace as a gift. Gift, free, nothing, can't pay, right? There's nothing, it's a free gift. But then redemption means that there's a price. So what was the price that was paid that I would get this free gift? The price was Christ. Was Christ Paying the penalty for your sin. Our salvation was not bought by silver or gold, it says in 1 Peter 1, but by the precious blood of a spotless lamb. By it he purchased. Again, he says, I came to give my life as a ransom, a payment for sinners. So that's what you're putting your faith in. That is, you can be justified by putting your faith, you ready? Not in your works, uh, not in your good deeds, not in your intellect, but by Christ and Christ alone. And it's his perfect life. You're trusting in him saying, Lord, I needed you to save me. I trust you to save me. I trust you to pay the penalty for my sin. That if you do that, you're ready? Justified. That if you entrust your life to Christ as the only one that can rescue you from your sin, God the Father says, justified, forgiven, righteous. That is the good news of the gospel. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, I, I'm just so thankful, one, that you're here. 
And in God's providence, we're going through Romans. This is how you could be forgiven. This is how you can have peace with God. This is how you can calm that little voice in your conscience that you keep trying to silence or ignore that says something's wrong, something's not right, something's off. God comes and tells you, yes, something is off, but there's a way for you to be forgiven. And student, this is not some sort of, uh, there's no catch here. There's no, I'll do this, but now you need to kind of pay me back. This is not a loan that you need to pay back at 20% interest, like some of you will meet soon at graduation. This has nothing to do with that. This is total forgiveness right away. I mean, imagine if you could write down the debt of your sin. And if you could write in a book every word that was wicked, every thought that was selfish, every glance that was ungodly, all things where you disobeyed God's clear commands for your life, that in a moment, do you realize that if you put your faith in Jesus, it will be wiped away. That he will separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. That that he will forget them and remember them no more. That he will wash you whiter than snow. That he doesn't just coldly say, well, I guess we'll, let's not do it again. But he'll embrace you as a father. Friends, this is the mercy of God. This is a reality that exists. So the question I would just ask is, are you trusting in Jesus? If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you say, I'm not a Christian, God even today says, come and you could be forgiven. I will wipe away all your sin immediately. Church student, I would ask you, are you trusting in Jesus or are you trusting in your works? It's a really good question. Are you, and some of you wrestle with that, right? Like, I've grown up in church. I've never like denied Jesus. Well, how do I know which is which? I don't have the answers to that. I'll, I'll give you a few ways to think about it. One is not just how you uh, answer, but how you feel about the question, why does God love you? Because if your answer really has to do with God loves me because I'm not like those other bad kids, I'm not like the people at the Starbucks that Harry was mentioning during first hour, if your answer is God loves me because I'm not like them, well, friend, that's not why God loves you. And you're trusting in your works. Steve, let me ask you, when you sin, are you less likely to go to God in prayer because you feel like you need to work your way back into relationship with him? Do you pray less because you go, how can I crack open a Bible and pray right now? I need to do some things, then I'll go back to God. Oh, student, that is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Your acceptance is based on and is always based on the finished work of Jesus who says it is finished when it came to paying for your sin. That's the good news. And I just think one other thing, if you're hearing the gospel and again, maybe you're not like, wow, blown away what I'm saying right now, but again, you're just like thankful and moved by the gospel message. That's probably a good sign that you know how lost you were and that you needed this message. And if every time someone starts talking about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, you go, here it goes again. Perhaps it's because you don't actually believe that you were so sinful that you needed to be rescued. 
Good things for us to think about. Uh, let me share one thing. I was meeting this week with Ian. We were, doing a, a test of, uh, we were doing a baptism interview. And Ian, I was talking about assurance stuff and how do you know. This is such a good thing, and I'm borrowing it, Ian. I'm telling you now, by the way. Uh, Ian says, you know what's so good is when you think about Christ, assurance is not a feeling. It's a reality. Think about that. Justified means it's done whether we always feel it or not. Because it has to do with what God has legally said, not how we feel in the moment. Students, that is good news, right? It is good news when life's falling apart to know we are justified. Why? Because God said it. And it's done. That makes us to our second question. A second question then is this. How is this possible? How is this possible? You know, it, it sort of sounds too good to be true. You mean all my sin wiped away, done with? Uh, it, it, doesn't this sound like a cheap escape? Come on, some of you have seen movies where it like looks so bad, it's over, it's obvious there's no way out, and then there's some like really cheap, lame way that, oh, well, I guess we should use this secret weapon we've never used before. Well, you know, there's a lady that travels the international galaxy, but she can come help us out now. You know, you're just like, wait, where'd this storyline come from, right? These writers come up with nothing. So like, let's come up with an impossibility to rescue the day. And whenever we share the gospel message, some people feel like that. Like, okay, well, here's the twist. Uh, that doesn't really make sense. Is that true? What, what's the catch? What, how can this be true? And the answer for how it could be true is in verse 25. The answer is God. It's true because of God. Look at again, verse 25. Whom God. That is the reason why Jesus comes and he dies for our sins. You ready? Because it's the plan of God. And what I want you to see is that it's God who initiates. It's God who starts the plan of salvation. It's God from whom salvation comes. And so salvation is not just this formula that exists and you plug in all the things no it's it's god who has done it and what has he done he has put forward he has publicly displayed jesus this is god initiated i mean we all know john three sixteen, right for god so loved the world that he gave Right? This, this wasn't a trade-off. There wasn't a deal that was struck. There's no quid pro quo here or anything like that. Us coming to God and saying like, okay, what could, how can we work this out here? Right? That, that's not what's going on. You, you can't go for a spiritual short sale. That's not what's happening. What's happening here is that it's God who initiates the salvation of sinners. It's God who brings forth the gospel. And he's not like the Wizard of Oz who says, you know, I'll help you if you go clean. Yeah, that's not what's happening right at all. This is him who brings forth salvation for us. And in our sin, in our hopelessness, he sent Christ. And it says, verse 25, whom God put forward as a, here's a fun word, propitiation. Propitiation. How many of your Bibles, take a look at verse 25. How many of your Bibles say propitiation? Okay. Some of you, a handful of you, okay? How many of you used the word propitiation this week in normal conversation? I doubt it, right? Does any, like, what does this word mean? What do we do with it? Does anyone else, uh, does anyone have a Bible that says something different? Like, raise your in your Bible does not say propitiation, verse 25. Anybody? Okay, you have it. Can you read it for us? Is that okay? What's it? 
It doesn't say it. Yeah, can you read what it says instead? This is interesting. We've got to figure out, like, what is this? What meaneth this? So read it for us. Yeah. A sacrifice of atonement. That's really good. I like that. Okay, sacrifice of atonement. Does anyone else say anything else? Anything else? Does anyone have a footnote? Does it say like foot like propitiation, like little letter I? Then they explain anything else? No? Yours does. What's the footnote say? Instead of propitiation, how does it want to translate it? Oh, well, no, no, I want to see, is there a different, does it give you like, oh, it could also mean this? No? Uh, let, me, let me get to the explanation. Okay, all good. Okay, okay, okay. So here's what this word could mean. It does mean atoning sacrifice. The word is a very strange word. It, it can mean mercy seat. And you're like, mercy seat? What is the mercy seat? Is that bench the mercy seat? What, what is this? It's actually the word that's used for the Ark of the Covenant. Now let me explain here, give you some history. Uh, what it's saying is God put forth Jesus as the mercy seat. In Leviticus 16, right, it talks about a very important day for the nation of Israel. It was talking about the Day of Atonement. That once a year and only once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is. And there's the Ark of the Covenant, this, this gold box that's supposed to represent the, the, uh, the presence of God. And once a year, he would, in a way, place on a lamb, on a goat, all the sins of the nation. And then that goat would die as a sacrifice, and the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And once a year, it would be a way of atoning for the sins of the nation. That is, the wrath of God should fall on them, but once a year this ritual would put the wrath of God at bay. There's only one problem. They'd have to do this every single year. And every year, because of their sin, once again, the wrath of God would be upon them. So could you imagine how comfortable you would feel? Am I going to heaven? Well, today, God's, you know, my sin's been forgiven, but I better not mess up tomorrow or it's over for me. But it says that the wrath of God, right? God has put for Jesus as our propitiation, as the place where the wrath has been atoned for, where our sin has been paid for once and for all. That once and for all, that wrath that should fall on us has been paid for by Jesus because it fell on Jesus. And so wrath has been absorbed. Do you realize that Galatians 3.13 says that, that we have been freed from the curse of the law because Jesus became a curse for us. The wrath which should have fallen on us has fallen on him. And because of that, we are forgiven and viewed as righteous. Do you realize, student, that if you're in Christ, no wrath remains because God has already put it all on Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ. He doesn't get angry or furious with you anymore. Now, when we talk about wrath, some of you hear that and you're like, well, that, sounds, that sounds kind of uncultured. I mean, isn't that kind of wrath? Isn't kind of what like the pagan nations believed about their idols? Isn't that a little harsh? Like God is wrathful. Let's throw something in the volcano and he'll be less angry with us. But look, it's not like that because why? How did God... 
how, how did God's wrath get satisfied? By God. He put forth Jesus to remove the wrath away from sinners. And when we've trusted in him, we are righteous, forgiven, viewed uh, with no wrath, with no ill will from the Father, but only his affection and love forgiven by him. Now there's a question that we need to think about. Why did God do this? Look at verse 25 again. It says, this was to show God's righteousness. And again, verse 26 says, this was to show uh, his righteousness. So here's what you need to think about. Here's what Paul addresses. There's a question that needs to be asked. If God is holy and man is sinful, then how could God be good and forgive bad people? Right? Take a look at Proverbs. I have it up here. Take a look at the screen. Proverbs 17.15. Do I have this verse here? Proverbs 17.15. Here's what God's word says. Ready? He who justifies the wicked and who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And again, 24.24 of Proverbs. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples and abhorred by nations. So God's word says it is wicked and wrong and abomination to say to an evil person, you are good. So then how does God do this? Well, it tells us the reason why he hasn't always judged wicked people, verse 25, is to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, his patience, he had passed over former sins. See, in God's patience, he doesn't always judge people right away. That's why many of us are still alive in here right now. Many of us are living right now under the wrath of God that has not been executed because God is being patient and gracious for you to hear this message again. But verse 26 then says that God shows his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can God... Let sinners, let wicked people be viewed as righteous and not himself be wicked. Answer is because God put forth Jesus as a payment for our sins. See, for there to be justice, God has to execute judgment. Where then does that judgment go? We, we've used this uh, illustration before, but I think it's, it's helpful. Uh, I, got, I got dudes. Dudes, come here. Uh, Josh over here, Benji over here. Okay, hold these shirts. So there we go. You get this one. You stand on that side. Yeah, yeah, you get this one. You guys have seen this illustration before, but I think it's helpful nonetheless. It's good for us to remember. It's good for you if you're struggling with sin and therefore struggling to pray to the God who's forgiven you. Because what you have here is, is Benji, and Benji, we're going to make you the sinner. Hence, you have a black shirt. Sin, black, bad, etc. And, and because of that, no access to God, no forgiveness from God, no smiles from God, nothing that he does, that guy goes, oh, I guess that's okay. No, it's, it's wickedness, rebellion, judgment. And, and what you have here is Josh. Josh isn't all white. Don't let it get to your head. Josh will represent Jesus in this illustration. So thank you, Josh, for that. Perfect life. God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Never been a moment where God the Father did not delight in the son. But see, when God puts forth Jesus as our propitiation, what he does is all that sin that needs to be punished goes on Christ. Hold this for a second. All that sin, hold that up. All that sin falls on him. And so the world goes dark for three hours and it says that the sun is crushed with the wrath of God. 
that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the penalty paid for. But he's also just, he punishes sin. Punishment should have gone here. He's just by punishing sin. And God is the justifier. And that now the righteousness of Jesus is attributed to the one who puts faith in Christ. So how is God just and justifier? He justifies sinners by executing justice on Jesus. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. So the question you guys would have to ask is, is my faith in Christ? If so, then I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. I'm forgiven. I could pray to God, not based on how I did today, but based on Jesus. Does God love those who are forgiven? Yes. Does he love you more if you obey? No, because you're in Christ. Does he love you less if you disobey? No, because you're in Christ. That's the gospel message. All of it stems from God. Student, what I want to help you see is that the Bible is not a story of an angry God who Jesus talked out of executing judgment. It's not a story of an angry God who then Jesus was like, Pops, let's cool down a little bit here. It's the story of a God under whose wrath you stand and yet loves you so that he put forth the plan to save you. That's why we sing. Have you ever wondered why Christians sing praise to God? Because this is what we've been forgiven of. And this is why we delight in him. Let's go to question number three. And we've got a few minutes left. Question number three is this. But what about this? We've got some whatabouts. We have a few whatabouts. Let me show you verses 27 to 31. And we'll get into chapter four next week. Verses 27 to 31. There's a few what we'll call whatabouts. But what about this? Because we have some questions that we need. Okay, forgiven, in Christ, accepted. Here are the whatabouts that Paul addresses. The first one is this. But what about boasting? But what about boasting? That is, did I, did I do anything? What was my part in this? Can I brag a little bit? Can I just brag a little bit about this? Can I feel good about myself? Paul asked that, verse 27, then what becomes of boasting? You ready? He says, it is excluded. There is none. There, there is no bragging. There, there is nothing that you did. You didn't do anything to save yourself. Could you imagine somebody who received an inheritance boasting about their financial planning? Like, you got all the money from someone. You did nothing. And yet that's how foolish you would be to feel like you did something to save yourself. It says, boasting is excluded. We're not saved by works of the law. No, but by the law of faith. That's like a, the principle of faith. For we hold, verse 28, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Our pastor has often said we did nothing to contribute uh, to our salvation. The only thing we contributed was the sin that required uh, redeeming forgiveness. Oh, student, do you believe that? Every other religion will tell you, be good enough to be accepted by God. And then every other religion allows you to brag before God. Christianity is the only religion that doesn't steal any of God's glory in salvation. As believers, we never outgrow the need for forgiveness. You will never have a day where you somehow earned it. Uh, Even in heaven, uh, you will only be there boasting uh, because of what Christ has done, not because what you have done. Second question, but what about access? 
But what about access? The, the question would be, who is this for? Uh, who can get in on this? We've all seen those commercials, you know, come get this deal, and at the very end, not available in Hawaii or Alaska. And, and we think, okay, well, this seems, seems awesome, but, but is this for me? Can I get in on this? And that's his question he asks in verse 29. He says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Here's Paul's argument. If salvation was by the law, then salvation would only be the Jews because the Jews were the only ones that had the law. But what does he argue? He, he, he says there again, rest of verse 29, is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Jew or Gentile saved by faith. Again, back in verse uh, 22, he says it's righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. Anyone who comes to Christ can be forgiven. The mercy of God is for all people. Your unsaved neighbor, all they need to be saved is faith in Christ. That person that you think that they could never get saved, all they need is faith in Christ. And faith is available to all. Student, no matter what you've done this morning, no matter how little of the Bible you know, the only thing that you need for forgiveness is faith in Christ. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Rest of knowing that you're forgiven. Finally, third, what about, and we'll, uh, we'll tackle this one later. Third is, what about obedience? What about obedience? Verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? In other words, do we disregard the law? Some of you ask this, does forgiveness mean that you can just you know, live however you want? You get a get out of sin free card? Uh, is that how this works? Paul says, no, rather, we uphold the law. You know, we'll do more on this in a few chapters uh, because Paul will address it more in chapter 6. But believers still obey. Uh, forgiveness is not a religious exemption for the commands of God. Uh, forgiveness calls us to greater obedience. Christianity is not obey and now you're forgiven, but it is you're forgiven and now you should obey. We'll look at that more in chapter 6. Friends, here's the good news. Because of Jesus Christ, we are truly, actually, before God, forgiven. It is a reality. It is not just a feeling. It is not just something that's a pie-in-the-sky idea. It is something you can know you have in Christ. Forgiveness. This is the great news. This is the news we need to believe this is the news we need to share. Uh, student, this is the news that could be your news if you come to Christ today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we've had to look at your word. God, thank you for this. Forgiven, uh, redeemed how we love to proclaim it. Uh, thank you for your son in whom is all our hope. Thank you that the sin that we've committed even this week was placed on him and we are viewed as righteous in him. Thank you, Lord, that we could draw near to you because of your grace and the way that you initiated forgiveness. Students, I, or Father, I just pray for these students who do not know you. Now, I pray for those that are trusting in their own works or who are outright rejecting you, that you would draw them to yourself. Help them to see the grace and mercy that you offer to the substitutionary death of your son. And Lord, may all our trust be in him and in only him. It's in Christ's name we pray.